my goodness, we've got guests. You know what that means. It's another Masterclass episode on Studio Class. Happy New Year, divas. I hope that your 2022 will be full of hope, creativity, and staying sparkly inside and out. <laughs> I cannot wait to share this Masterclass with you to kick off our year. I got to interview the one and only Laura Strickling, and I'm about to tell you all about her. So Laura Strickling has been celebrated for her work on the concert and recital stage. She's performed at Carnegie Hall, Avery Fisher, Kennedy Center, National Sotos, Tanglewood, Ravinia, and all sorts of places. Laura and I both curated anthologies for New Music Shelf Anthology. Hers includes 20 contemporary art songs for soprano. Definitely check them out if you haven't already. There is also a new edition for trans and non-binary voices as well. Now, back to Laura. Laura also serves on the Brooklyn Art Song Society's New Music Advisory Board, the advisory boards of the Cincinnati Song Initiative, and Calliope's Call. She's appeared in tons of recitals and festivals and series and all sorts of things around the country and beyond. And her commissioning initiative, the 40 at 40 Project, brings to life 40 songs by 40 composers. And you're going to hear more about that in this episode. Also, her concert soloist engagements are many and include some of the most well-known works in the repertoire, such as Messiah, Barber's Knoxville, Beethoven 9, Mozart Requiem, Lord Nelson Mass, and so much more. She's really well-known for her commitment to new music, and Laura created the role of Fanny Rednopti in the world premiere of Tom Chapulo's opera The Parting with Music of Remembrance in Seattle. And Laura's a Chicago native, but she's also lived in Morocco and Kabul, Afghanistan. She's going to talk a little bit about that in this episode as well. And she currently makes her home in St. Thomas, the U.S. Virgin Islands. Okay, I have to tell you this, is that she also received widespread critical acclaim in 2020 for her debut solo CD, Confessions. And I was a very silly, silly person who talked to Laura about being a Grammy-nominated soprano before we started recording. I know, before, before. Oh, so silly. So my sincere apologies that I didn't include that part of our conversation in this episode, but I know you will love, love, love everything we did talk about. So without further ado, this is our Masterclass episode with Laura Strickling. Yay! Laura, welcome to Studio Class. This is so great. I'm so excited to have you on to be a Masterclass guest. This is wonderful. Would you please introduce yourself and say a few words about you? <laughs> sure. Hi, I'm Laura Strickling. I'm a soprano and I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, um, but I currently live on an island in the Caribbean called St. Thomas. And we've been here for seven years now, which is kind of mind blowing. Seven years. Um, wow. And when we moved here, I was like, oh, well, that's, there's the end of my career. <laughs> and yet somehow I'm still stranded on an island and I'm still singing too. So uh, <laughs> you never know what life is going to throw at you. <laughs> right. But you've li also kind of lived all over. I, can you talk about some of the places that you've lived? <laughs> yeah. So there, after I went to Peabody Conservatory, right before you did. Right. So like we didn't actually overlap, but we were there, uh, similarly. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, I didn't, I stopped singing after Peabody for four years. And during oh. when we, when I was not a singer anymore, um, I lived in Morocco for a year and studied classical Arabic with my husband. And, um, 
and then after we got back from Morocco, uh, a couple of years later, we moved, my husband got a job in Afghanistan. Uh, and so we functionally, we kind of moved to Kabul. Yeah. And then I was at that point, I had started singing again. And so instead of staying in Kabul, I flew back and forth um, from, from Kabul to DC and New York to sing. And then what a, after what a commute, Laura. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you that 18 hours from DC to Dubai got real old. <laughs> but uh, but then and then after we came back from Kabul and and like we were done with Kabul, then my husband got this job in the Virgin Islands, and I was like, well, you know, that sounds. I mean, it's not exactly where I thought we would end up, but that sounds better than Kabul, so. right? <laughs> well, and you'd have so this kind of experience of traveling, a living living maybe outside of where you're regular gigs were happening I don't know you had some like that's definitely like I said a commute so so kudos to you for having that let's figure it out attitude that's so I think that's that's so part of who you are as like a as a person as like as a musician as an artist like just that let's figure it out attitude Oh, well, and, you know, if I was really smart, I would have studied French immersion when we lived in Morocco. But again, I didn't know I was going to be a singer again then. Right. And if I was really smart, I would have maybe like tried to sing in Europe when we were living in Kabul, like shorter flights. But, you know, I, I guess I just wasn't where that, that wasn't, I wasn't brave enough to try that. So I didn't. So but I think, isn't that interesting is that like, I think each one of, um, that information comes to us as we're able to like take it in, take it on, like take on those challenges. So I think, I don't, I think that's disingenuous to say if I were smarter, (laughs) (laughs) you're pretty smart cookie. (laughs) So so, Laura, I I usually start all of our masterclass episodes by saying, what's an intention that you're keeping for yourself right now? So this can be anything, but really what's an intention that you're keeping for yourself? Um, I think, um, coming out of COVID, I have felt very unmoored in my personal practice Mm. and feeling like, like there was a time where I just felt in such good vocal shape where I never even needed a warm up because it was just there for me. You know, it was there because it was just ready because I was constantly conditioning and constantly learning and constantly practicing and constantly studying. And I, I just have, I got out of the practice during, during COVID. And so coming back to that and saying, what does, what does a life in music actually look like now that I actually get to live that life again? And so kind of just trying to like be a, you know, uh, gentle with myself, because of course, a lot of these things were out of our control and we all wish that we'd spent the entire pandemic learning five operas and right. um, three foreign languages, but most of us didn't. And so here we go back into the real world, right. and like being gentle with ourselves, but getting back into the swing of things. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about maybe what some of the, the day-to-day practices look like for you that are helping you get back into the swing of things? Oh man, I wish there were, I was that, um, like procedural about it. Um, but actually what it was really ended up being is, well, I have some gigs coming up. I better learn that music. And so, um, I am doing a a Piro Lumiere in uh, DC in January, and I'm actually really excited about that. And, uh, um, I love, I haven't done a lot of German in recent years. And so kind of just jumping in with both feet and 
I don't know. I'm a, I think I'm a nerd because I think my favorite part about preparing for a gig like this is translation and then, yeah. you know, making sure my pronunciation is in line. And there's just, you know, the 90 steps I have to get, go through to get to the actual phonation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I love that part. I don't know. There's just yeah. this like organi- organization and, you know, colorful pens and a really pretty <laughs> binder. Like I love that stuff. So getting, you know, kind of getting that actually was what got me back into that, like that little p- feeling in the pit of my stomach, like a gig is coming. Yes. <laughs> Prepare. <Yeah. laughs> I so feel um, that but it's, it's real, right? Yes. You were not alone in that at all. I was just like, oh, I thought, you know, we're all going to just be preparing stuff and like working on things. And I was like, wow, didn't realize how tied I was to having the thing on the calendar to work towards. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, I'm going to use that to my advantage going forward. And I'm just going to well, keep it. I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Although I don't, I don't feel like I learned my lessons very well. So I feel like if they're <laughs> given an opportunity to like drop the ball, I'm going to do it. But <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I just got off of doing this opera and yeah. I um with a, a group called Experiments in Opera in New York and it yeah can you tell us more a, about it? Sure, it was a it's a nine act opera Whoa. written to be televised so that yeah. each act is written as like a television episode. Cool and but nine composers and nine librettists. Wow, and I was like, how does that even work? How do you how's this going to fit together? you know, with the kind of story, with the narrative, with, with, you know, compositionally, is it going to feel scattered? It really doesn't. It's amazing. It's a really cool piece. And so we finished, like, it was like this five, six month project where we showed up, we workshopped it. We showed up, we did a musical rehearsal. A month later, we um, recorded it. A month later, we did the film acting of it where we lip synced to the recording and like, um again these are all things I've never I've never lip-synced to a recording of myself I've never acted for camera which is a completely different thing than acting for stage so not only was I like kind of uh okay well I'm jumping back into gig a gig that I have like one of my first real big gigs since the pandemic I was also like trying to pick up a new skill while trying to like fumble for my old skills so it, it was really stretching but it was really fun and really different and um you know, I, 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 I caught the fire again. I don't know about you, but, you know, sitting here for like a year and a half going, you know, am I going to be a singer after all of this? I kind of forgot why I love what I do. And let me tell you, like most of it was the people, like I got to be with colleagues and like make art with them. And this isn't just the singers, this is the conductors and the instrumentalists and the the lighting designer was inspiring. I mean, really seriously. (laughs) Um, the, the, the cameraman, uh, the director, like, I mean, just every single person on that set, watching them make art and, and watching them kind of problem solve together just all of those things it just made me so excited to get to do what I do again and you know made me want to do more of it and so this is how it feels let's do this yeah (laughs) you're like oh yeah it is still there it is there I got this like you're so right well and just I completely felt the same way about just being around the people again of it and being like oh yeah no this is absolutely such a huge part for me (laughs) like I just really want to be in these spaces we don't make music in a vacuum like we just yeah we need each other so I yeah love that love that aspect of like our ensemble nature even if we're being soloists and what we're doing we're still always like working together in community and all of that stuff 
I don't know about you, but I never want to sing along with a pianist track again. <laughs> like, I'm I like, that's for practicing only. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, no more, you know. <laughs> so, so true. Oh my gosh. I love what you were saying. There's so many interesting things about in your experiments in opera, um, the the things that you were learning for the first time, as well as coming back and like relearning skills. I think that's characteristic of so many of us throughout this time, especially the learning new skills and trying to put them into action alongside of keeping our craft strong and doing what we do and kind of trying to grow. So recording in all sorts of different ways, like working remotely with people uh, in, in musical capacities as well. Like all of that stuff is just very characteristic of this time. And mm -hmm. I think one of the things that I, I would imagine you feel the same way. So I'm kind of asking, do you, do you consciously think about growing your skills or learning, um, challenging yourself as part of your practice regularly, or is it something that just kind of comes to you because you're always wanting to take on new projects and we learn something through all of them? Yeah, I, I wish I was that methodical about it. I actually think I've just been lucky in that that I've been able to pr pursue projects that require me to yeah. stretch my boundaries. And, um, you know, I, I, I say sometimes like, you know, a lot of people learn one opera and do it in five cities. I learn five art songs and do them in one city, you know, yeah. or, or 15 or 60, you know, it just, yeah. it's just, it's, it's just, this is the nature of the beast. I'm learning so much all the time because my interests have taken me in this direction. I, I, I am required to do things that take me out of my comfort zone a little bit more than if I had chosen maybe a more traditional path. Sure. Do you have any tips or tricks about making your music learning process more efficient because when you're learning so much rep because we you know you're performing lots of things all over the place and that means you have to you have to be somewhat of a quick learner and I think some of that is probably innate but also you've I'm sure you've gotten more efficient in your music learning can you talk a little bit about that I actually ended up um, using technology a lot more during the pandemic in ways yeah. that I hadn't before that made my process shorter wow. so um I uh was preparing for a, a to record a cd this past summer yeah. and the pianist and I weren't going to see each other until one month before the recording and get an entire cd together in one month is a lot mm -hmm. and it was all new music all new songs that neither of us had ever you know no one had ever heard so yeah <laughs> um he would make me a piano track and yeah. I would throw it in garage band and I would basically learn my song along with him playing on the on garage band i would um learn my piece measure by measure phrase by phrase by phrase by phrase and then after i went through that process of recording myself over him i would have a full take of the piece yeah and i would suddenly realized that like by going through that process, I knew the piece pretty well, but yeah. then I would have this recording of the piece and I could play it and listen to it. And it was me singing it, not Renee Fleming or, you know, like I think so many times, I actually don't think that it's a huge no-no to listen to someone else's performance yeah. of something. If you're trying to learn music, use the tools you have. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. There's no question <laughs> that like, if I listen to Renee Fleming's 
recording over and over and over, some of her interpretation is going to be in my soul. And if I want to kind of break the shackles of, of, you know, and really truly say, this is what I think about these words and this music and how they fit together, like, and, and no one else's input, then, you know, that's complicated if you if you have to learn music um, with a recording and can't do it another way. Yeah, I I just found that uh, like by doing this garage band thing, which again never would have occurred to me before the pandemic, oh. and now I've applied it to other things, not just new music, not just yeah. m- these commissions. Like literally, you know, anything I learn, if I can get a pianist to record it for me, I can learn it that way, and it actually I learn it a lot quicker. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's also something to be said for in garage band. You also have these visual elements plus like kinesthetic things of like putting things together. So you're really tapping into Mm -hmm. different neural pathways along with the fact that you're making yourself like this really useful track and it's you and all of that stuff. That's really fascinating. Well, it's nerdy. And again, I never, it never would have occurred to do me to me to have done it until I had to record something for a performance once. And I was like, wow, I learned that really fast. Yeah. And hey, like, what? Oh, we, I'm gonna do this for everything. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you're like, but, there you know, we go. <laughs> if you if you don't under you know if you don't use GarageBand and you don't have recording equipment and you don't want to take that route, like what I've always done is just do the work. You know, like start yeah. with the translation. I always start with the translation because the words are the foundation of everything we do. And if you don't know what you're saying, you can't possibly move forward. So right. translation and then. Um, uh, pronunciation, um, and then, um, notes and then like figuring out how my, my part fits in with, with the orchestration or the, or the piano part. Um, so like just, I, I always approach it at those steps in that order, because that's the way my brain wants to absorb it. And if I do that, if I do it, um, in that order, like really well and deeply thinking about it and studying it, then usually it sticks pretty well. Yeah. That's great. You had, you had kind of mentioned in there, this big commissioning project that you have. And I was wondering if you might talk a little bit more about, I mean, from the queen oh. of commissioning herself. You and I are just oh. out here pouring vocal music into the world. <laughs> it's a hose. It's by a hose. <laughs> so I, before the pandemic, I, um, I, I, because I live on an island in the middle of the Caribbean, people are constantly saying, you love, you love art songs so much. You should have an art song group. Like yeah. you should be having a festival. And, and, um, I also have a five-year-old daughter and yeah. I just realized that like, there is no way that I can be the mom I want to be and the singer I want to be and build an art song festival. I just, I know I can't do it. And, yeah. but I do want to give back to the art song community because it is mm-hmm. important to me to be a, an active member and I'm not just, you know, going and singing and, and, and giving that way, but like, I want to be giving in other ways. And, and I was trying to figure out like, how, what's my way? Like I, when am I going to, you know, be in a position to do something functional that gives back to the art song community. And I, don't know I just I had some recitals coming up and I was like you know I've never commissioned something like I should do that like yeah have I ever done that so I sat down and wrote down names of composers I might want to commission and the net list kept getting longer and longer and longer and I was just <laughs> like how do I how do I pick one how do I pick one I know so many composers and I think of the list ended up being something like 150 or something crazy. oh my gosh Laura <laughs> I, was like, I was like how do I 
there's no way. So I was like, well, I need, like, what if I did like two cycles or what if I did like five songs, different five, like an, like chunk. I was like, I was 38 at the time. And I was like, what if I, what if I, I've got time now? Like, what if I commissioned 40 songs for my 40th birthday? I've got like a year and a half and I'll just, you know, then, you know, I could, record them and, you know, promote these composers and, and do a, you know, kind of in, and so the, the idea kind of snowballed. Yeah. And then like three months later, I got everybody on board, you know, within, I thought I would, I wasn't sure if anybody would think it was a good idea. I oh oh my God. For me. Within like two months, I had like all 40 slots. Yeah. And, and, and again, like there are way more composers that I, want to and will work with it's a 40 became um not a um an end a a beginning (laughs) to a a personal mission of commitment a commitment to commission so 40 is where I'm starting but of course it will grow but um but I had 40 in like two months and then the pandemic hit and so like I kind of went into it knowing how much money I was going to make in 2020 and having this plan of how I was going to like approach groups about um, presenting premieres of all these songs and then everything ground to a halt and I didn't have any money. And like, it's just, it was crazy. I mean, somehow I've kept it, I've kept the vision alive, but you know, it certainly hasn't been as straightforward as I thought it was going to be. Um, but you know, we're just, I'm just kind of, I have realized like, if my mission, my original, original idea was like, I'll have a big happy birthday, happy 40th birthday recital in New York on my 40th birthday and do all the commissions. But of course, like I turned 40 in April and that didn't happen. (laughs) The world was not possible yet, you know, in the world. So, um, but you know, it kind of like changed my expectations, but I'm still like passionate about the project and passionate about, you know, just promoting the idea that like anybody can commission. And I love, I would love it if like every undergrad singer was required to commission one song for their senior recital right. and work with a composer at their school yeah. or, or, or a poet, like if their uncle's a poet and they have yeah. someone they know, you know, like they're pulling together the threads of artistry and collaboration around you. And if you start that early, imagine how big that could be. Like I, I, it, I was 38 years old before I realized I could be commissioning. And like, it doesn't have to be that way. You can be 21 and be like, yeah. you know what? I found this amazing poem that I want to sing. Yeah. And there's this composer in my school who, you know, like we should see if we can work together. Like this is, this is like rocket science that I apparently was not able to access when I was no. <laughs> Well, well, I was wondering if you would just talk about like demystifying that process for yourself because you had gotten, and Laura, you sing a ton of new pieces and have collaborated with a lot of composers up until like that point. So it's so funny to me that, that you were like, I should commission things. <laughs> like, and, the, and so can you talk about just like maybe getting, wrapping your brain around like, okay, well, I'm going to do this. Like I'm, you wrote to them you did like what 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 did that look like a mix of everything because like I said most of these composers are people that I had personal relationships not all but most are people I had personal relationships with so it was kind of a so I have this idea you want to do it like you know and and I think um a lot of times and I actually encourage people to say oh I have this wonderful set of poetry I want to have said like find the right fit for that poem but um because of the nature of 40 at 40, I wanted, I basically went to each composer and said, here's what I want to do. Here's the project. 
how do I help you bring your dream projects to life? Like, yeah. is there some, a poem you've been wanting to set and just needed an excuse to do it? Is yeah. there a, a song cycle you've been wanting to write and you can do the first or, you know, one of the songs and yeah. for this and that become like feeds into a larger vision you have. And that, a couple of composers have done that. Um, and just kind of like, what is your dream and how can I help you achieve it? Was my, was my, you That's know, so good. <laughs> my you know, marching orders for myself. Yeah. Mainly because, you know, like obviously I have ideas, but like I, I composers, I have to imagine based on the ones I know, like they have they they're sitting around like creating and like <laughs> having all of these dreams about music that they could write. Like that's not my calling. That is not what like gets me out of bed every day it's 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 taking their creation and bringing and giving it voice mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. and so like why wouldn't I go to the expert and see like well hey expert what do you want to do <laughs> <laughs> so for me that made the most sense but I actually see you know I've seen it work from every angle it's it's really just about collaboration and I think as singers um you know it's very rare that we're on the stage by ourselves. it's mm -hmm. very rare like most 98, 99.5% of what we do is collaborating mm -hmm. with our pianists, with our orchestras, with our conductors, with our um, quartet, with our mm -hmm. choir, with our composer, with the librettist. And, and so like just leaning into the idea that we are so much better as a community and how can we build our community by strengthening our web of collaborations? Yes. Oh my gosh. Preach that. Yes. <laughs> <That's>, like, <laughs> put that on a needle, needle point that on a pillow <laughs> like for myself. But... It's going to be a really big needle point because I don't, I don't know how to shut up. So. <laughs> it's a body pillow. That's just totally needle, needle point. <laughs> Laura, one of the things that I really liked in what you were saying, it, I'm wondering if it felt easier to have some of the logistical conversations around commissioning because you approached them and said, like, here's this project that I'm wanting to do. What do you have that you're like you're envisioning? What's something that you want and how can we make that happen? That also just starts to have that conversation of like money, timeline, you know, forces, any of that, any of the little like nuts and bolts that you would put into a contract. Then you can just start from that place and be like, how can we make this happen? we're teaming up. How do we make this vision happen? There you go. There are the little details. Like, is that kind of how that felt? Hey there, divas. Real quick thing before we get back to the rest of this episode. Do you love Studio Class? You can support it now by joining the Sybaritic Camerata on Patreon. It's just at patreon.com slash mezzoenen, M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. For $10 a month, you can join the listening circle where you get access to bonus episodes, you can make listener requests, and for $20 a month, you can become a Masterclass Scholar. Do you ever wish you could ask our Masterclass episode guests a question? Here's your chance. As a Masterclass Scholar, you're invited to the recording of the Masterclass episodes and you get to ask your questions during an exclusive Q&A after the taping. So come on over, check it out, patreon.com slash and now we're back to the episode. Absolutely. And of course, with every single person, it was a different conversation. And so, yeah. you know, and, and that was, that was cool too. Because again, yeah. that's just, it's all interpersonal communication and saying like, here's, here are my goals. What are your goals? How can we work together to make them happen? So, you know, yeah. it was, it was, it was interesting and 
I don't know. I just, I, I mean, if I had my druthers, I'd just sing all day, every day and not think about the administrative side of anything, but <laughs> that is not the world we live in. <laughs> oh, that it were <laughs> like, maybe we, maybe we can live in a world like that at some point. <laughs> like, <laughs> Laura, <Got> you <laughs> mentioned, you know, like, what are your goals? Like, how can I help you reach your goals? And I think that's also such a characteristic part of what you do as a teacher. So I'm going to ask, you know, when you're working with voice students, what is, what is a technical skill? What's a technical skill or technique skill that you love to teach? Um, text actually. So, um, I find that so much, like if, if you are like, saying a, str- a word strangely there's usually a technical reason for that and like ooh, dig know, into that yeah are you- <laughs> so like I don't know I I think that so so often we think of text as like kind of a means to an end when really as a singer it's kind of the point yeah. the audience can't understand you and you then you didn't say anything and why were you even there and and so I feel like text became at least for me in my music education, it came like item number 96 on the list of things <laughs> that I needed to master. You know, I was so worried about technique and physical manifestation of myself on the stage and all of these things. And it never occurred to me like to give a damn about what I was saying and how I was saying it and whether the audience was being moved by what I said because I was saying it mm-hmm. and because of the words and text I had chosen. And so, you know, if you, if you choose a text, you have to stand behind it. And if your audience doesn't understand what you said, then you might as well have not even said it. And so, you know, I think, especially with, as I work with, um, very beginner level students, um, where it, where I am, but I, you know, I think even beginner level students need to be thinking about that immediately. Like Mm -hmm. how, how is that word shaping in my mouth? Mm -hmm. Is that an authentic shape or am I doing something funny because I want to sound such a way? Um, so for me, just kind of, a, a, I mean, obviously technique is 900 million things, but I find that text can be a, a really important thing to uh, think about and focus on Absolutely. almost always. <laughs> yes, yes. I think like clear, clear text, clear diction is a means to what we're there to do. Exactly what you're saying. Like just being there and communicating. I think that's, I love that, that I sing so much in English, but, and I think that's how like, I, I love I love singing in English and communicating that way from the stage, but I love that you sing in so many different languages and you carry that same concept and clarity of text through all of them. And I think that shows in what you were saying about translations, making sure that pronunciation is like, it's not some afterthought. It is the driver of like of the meaning. <laughs> well, and you know what? It's not always easy. And I certainly have mispronounced things and I have, you know, I have, it's not, if it's not my first language, I do my best, but is it ever going to be perfect? Probably not. It's not my first language and I'm, and I'm, there's a barrier, but you know, I remember I, um, was doing a concert in Washington DC once and I was singing some Rachmaninoff songs and this one song, I just forgot the words. Like it just, it didn't like, you know, the kind of deer in the headlights, like oh, what's the, I don't remember. And I kind of just made up some Russian sounding things. And I saw three women in the back row do this. And I, I was like, oh God, they're Russian. 
you know, of all the languages, you can probably get away in most circumstances in the United States with messing up your Russian and nobody in the room is going to realize it, right? Like, whew, goodness gracious, I made it through that yeah. brain freeze. I like, nobody's the wiser. Not at that concert. No. There were three Russian women for whom I ruined their evening. <laughs> I love that and they so, were with you, know, you up until that point to be like, Oh no, honey, no. <laughs> Just like I saw, you can see it in their faces. Like you did it wrong. And they know oh. it. And and so and 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 the thing is, like at any given concert, there could be three Russians there. Yeah. There could be two Germans there. There yeah. could be a person who like has studied the French language their entire life and you know they're not fluent but they know and yeah. and so you know the work you do isn't it's not just to um it's 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 to honor these the audience members it's showing them respect that like you that they you, they speak that language like yes. <laughs> you don't want to pretend like that. if the, the flip side is you know if, if a person came and sang a concert in English and had a bunch of mispronunciations you'd make fun of them right yeah so like, I mean you probably would even if it was just in your brain because you're a better person than me just kidding <laughs> you'd roll oh your eyes God. like oh their English pronunciation is so bad or oh, like what was that word you know and 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 the truth is like you know that's it's the same uh for other people so just like yeah. being respectful <laughs> I think it makes such a big difference when you start to have that connection to the audience you are uh prepared enough that you're able to pay attention to the the energy that you're getting back from the audience and the listeners and so when something like that does happen and you <laughs> noticed those three women it's so much more poignant than getting docked in your coaching because your diction was like slightly off very yes. different feelings when you like yes. oh I feel like I I disrespected this listener who came to have this experience tonight because I I had I didn't I didn't go the the distance in my fill in the blank my my preparation on the pronunciation like I just didn't get and then when you feel that from them it's it's it hits different <laughs> let me tell you that when real life when you are a singer and you get past student experiences and when you're you the the the, the test is the performance yeah and the stakes are so much higher because the stakes are you maybe don't get hired again because you did a yeah. bad job and then you can't pay your rent and then you know like so when you're a student you're like oh no I might get a bad grade if I don't um do learn these songs for my jury and then my teacher will be upset with me but like if you want to be a singer you have, like your whole life is a test and yeah. the test can have there can be a thousand people in the audience watching you take that test <laughs> <laughs> yes so the test will never end and <laughs> like so and I'm kind of pivoting a little bit here but I just want to because you had set this up with um, the tests never end and, and the difference between what it's like for us in our professional lives versus our academic training. And one of the things that I'm just obsessed about, and you know this about me, is this idea of micro actions, being able to like break things down into these like very small units so that we can kind of not get overwhelmed by, <laughs> by everything that you have to mm -hmm. do to kind of keep your career moving forward. I was wondering if you could talk about a micro action that you felt has been really powerful for you or impactful for you 
as you've built your career? Oh my goodness. That's a hard one. <laughs> um, let me, let me consider. Um, oh, okay. I thought of, I, I know one. Um, so a micro action for me that has served me well from undergrad through today is always be kind to your pianists in every possible way that you can. So if that's giving them a very clear copy of your music, if that's taking out a red pen and marking in all of your breaths uh, so that they can't possibly miss it, if that's taking a green pen and marking in, writing in the translation so they know what you're saying and that they can make music with you, if that's walking up to them at the audition and handing them your folder and looking them in the eye and saying, hi, I'm Laura. I'm so excited to work with you today. Mm -hmm. They are humans behind that piano. Yeah. I just, I just think that like, it has always been super important to me that I treat my pianists fairly um, and treat them, you know, the way I would want to be treated as an artist and, um, and your pianist is only as prepared as you let them be basically, you know, if yeah. you, you can make or break your own audition by how well you prepare your pianist or your own recital or your own, you know, any, any just pianists are kind of like, we're not, like I said earlier, we're never on the stage alone. We're usually on the stage with a pianist. They're your partner, foster those relationships. My goodness. I have, you know, four or five pianists that I've worked with a lot. Um, for you know, years and years and years, and we're friends, and you travel with that person. Oh, you yeah. sat on trains for hours and talked and cried because we lost a competition, or you know, these are they're like these are, can be some of the most important relationships in your life. So you know, I I think just start now, like make yeah. those relationships because they're so fulfilling. Oh yeah, that's such a great one. Thank you for thinking of that. That's such a great such a great micro action just to keep in mind and anyone that you work with regularly just approaching them from that place right just we're, mm -hmm. we're in this collaborative environment all the time <laughs> like no matter what yeah so laura i i deeply believe that curiosity is a superpower you can see i like to ask people questions about things <laughs> like so mm -hmm. i was yeah. wondering if you could talk a little bit about uh, about the power of curiosity or really just like something that you're curious about this can be in life in general but this can also be in music this can be in voice whatever it is it's just about what am i what am i deeply curious about so i think um i think if you aren't a curious person being a singer is probably not for you because you're constantly <laughs> well you're 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 constantly needing to learn new music, but also learn, like, what do you not know? There's like so much, the, the repertoire is so vast yeah. and um, being curious about what repertoire is out there and not just being like, well, these are my five art songs, composers, cycles that I sing. And I don't need to know any more than that because every time I do a recital, I can sing these five cycles and I'm done. And I'm done. <laughs> and that's like, okay. <laughs> but are you, is that going to be, you know, musically fulfilling? Is that going to make you the best artist you can be? Is that, you know, so being curious about repertoire and, and, you know, certainly with song, it's infinite. There, you cannot possibly cover the breadth and depth of the composers of song repertoire. And so um, 
being, and I guess for me, that's, that's kind of where my curiosity lies. And I, and do you know that saying like, you, you know, you kind of, you, you don't know what you don't know yes. and that that can be like, that's kind of when you, I don't know, understand how much you will never understand is like yeah. the beginning of wisdom or something. Yeah. I am like, devastated that there are songs that I want to learn that I will never learn and songs that I may never, that may, may never cross my path because I want to learn them all. Right? right? <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. It's just like, <laughs> like that, you know, uh, uh, art is long, but life is short. That's another one where I'm like, it, you're just gonna, you're just going to know, you're going to start to realize just how much. And then also when we work in the side of like putting new ones into the world as well, we're like, not only yeah. is there just stuff that I'm never going to be able to get to, but I'm also just making new ones for somebody else to have this same feeling. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're just adding to the problem. We're problem people. <laughs> no, problem, like problem children over here. Just like, <laughs> but I, it's so, it's so true. Oh my gosh. Yes. I, before we start to wrap this up, and you can kind of, you can talk about this in whatever way, I know that I'm kind of springing this on you, but no, you had mentioned earlier, like at the very beginning of the podcast about a time where you weren't singing, like you were done singing and, and then coming back to it. And I was, I think that we, I honestly think that as as artists, we all go through time periods of our life in which we are not necessarily actively being the, that artist that we have set out to be at, at a moment for whether or not they're like short periods of time or longer periods of time. And I'm wondering if you could speak to how that came about in your life and also maybe what led you back into singing. Sure. So after grad school, you know, you go to school and they say, now you have your degrees, go get into a young artist program mm -hmm. and then you will be a singer. Oh, of <laughs> One, two, that three. Too. That's it. That's clearly all that needs to happen. <laughs> but I auditioned for young artist programs and I didn't get into any. And if I'm very honest with myself, my technique was terrible when I left grad school. And I knew I had, I knew I wasn't singing well, but I didn't know how to fix it. I yeah. felt like kind of rudderless. And um, um, my husband was starting law school. And so I got a job. Um, I was the accreditation specialist for the National Office for Arts Accreditation. And, and so it was, it, it, I didn't realize kind of what a pivot it was at the time, but it really was just kind of me being like, I, I don't know how to become a singer. Mm. I beyond, you know, getting into an arts program like what how does one become a singer and yeah. and I did I didn't have an answer to that and I didn't have an answer of how I would fix my technical problems and so I just kind of walked away and and thought you know I'm gonna be in arts um, admin uh, in nonprofits and that you know that, that might be the, my path um, and uh, it, it didn't turn out to be my path I actually really enjoyed it but um, we you know, moved to Morocco and then we came back from Morocco and I had, was like, well, now what do I do? You know, I had a, I had a path yeah. and now we're back and here I am at square one again. I'm 28 years old. Like what should I do with my life? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and my husband was like, well, you were always supposed to be a singer. And I was like, I can't just be a singer. I'm, I'm no closer to the answer of how to find, how to have a career than I was, you know, three years ago. 
And um, I was, na I nannied and I, I started taking voice lessons with this wonderful teacher named Elizabeth Daniels in Washington, DC. Yep. And yeah. she was super into, you know, you should do competitions um, because, you know, from, at least for me, it gave me a goal to work towards. I didn't mm -hmm. think I was necessarily going to be a singer, but like, if I was going to be taking lessons, I wanted to be doing it for a reason. Yeah. So I started doing competitions and started doing well in competitions and competitions were really what kind of got me a network. Um, yeah. When you, you know, I hadn't, I didn't, hadn't sung for anyone. So I had no one to write a recommendation letter for me. I couldn't get an audition, um, but competitions will let you sing. You know, you don't, yeah. you can write that application for a, a, an audition and they will just cash your check, but not, <laughs> not hear you but uh the competitions yeah. will hear you so yeah. you know that was that was my place to prove myself and so then a lot of competitions would come with a gig opportunity attached to a win so I got started getting my first gigs from that wow. um, a little bit of money that kept kind of just the encouragement to keep going like yeah for me I, I think <laughs> I was kind of say competitions are great if you're the kind of person who can the you know to, to process competitions yes. yeah. in a healthy manner because I certainly lost way more than I than I was successful at um and I well, think did that help you of, build up some build up that kind of resilience then as well yeah for sure you know because you have to be able to say oh look at these judges comments this is this is wise this is wisdom uh this is utter crap you know um, <laughs> or take it to your teacher and have them help you contextualize it but if for me it was never about like well I am here to win and Sally Smith is going down today it was always just about you know like I have oh my goodness Nats is coming up I need 12 art songs and one aria from an opera and one aria from an oratorio and like so I'm learning rap and I'm, you know, try, I want to sing this as the best I possibly can. And that's what I'm working on technically and language. I just, I want this to be so good so that it's fun. Like I'm yeah. doing a good job and that's personally fulfilling. And so that was kind of my, my reason. And so I think because I didn't have a lot of pressure on myself, like internal pressure on myself that I needed to win, I had fun with it. Yeah. And, um, and I was able to take, oh man, that criticism is so rough and so mean sometimes <laughs> and somehow I was able to say, okay, well that sucks moving on, you know, <laughs> um, yeah. because it does suck. It yeah. does suck. And you don't like some things you never forget, mm -hmm. um, as a human on the planet, it's like bullying, you know, you just never, it's like, that was unnecessary. Why did you yeah. say that? You know, because yeah. you could. Um, <laughs> oh man, um, yes. But you know, the but you know, and so again, not that's not for everyone. Not everyone can just like be like, I'm gonna do this and be perfectly fine at the end of the day. For some people, that would be soul shattering, crushing, uh -huh. ruin their month, ruin their year. And if you're that kind of person, then don't do competitions because it yeah. is not. There are other ways to find your career. Mm -hmm um and that are more healthy for you because yeah. there is an emotional cost yeah. to you know to doing that kind of thing absolutely I always had such a feeling about I I don't have a lot of competitions in in my background at all because I felt like as a mezzo I was never really bringing um like shiny objects to competitions and I was like yeah I just don't feel like this is gonna go the way I want it to <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, no, that's, so, that's real. That's a, there is a strategy to repertoire choice, and as a yeah. soprano, yeah, there's yeah. no question. Like, yeah, that's well, and I think that's important. So I love that that's been like a path for you where you were like, okay, I'm able to work towards this, and it's giving me the fire to really refine all of these elements, like the technical skill, like the text, the communication, the you know, all of the perform performance side of things. And that really helped you kind of see the path for it, right? But well, I, the other thing is just that like you have to perform to get better at performing. Yes. Standing in front of people, having that rush of adrenaline and learning how to manage your body's physical response to that, that's a skill. And if yeah. you don't put yourself in front of people, you're not going to have that chemical, chemical response and you're not going to learn to deal with that chemical response. And so like, even if it's four people in your living room, like you have to do it. Yeah. And so competitions were a way for me to do it but like there is no substitution for singing in front of people to learn how yeah. to sing in front of people and oh my gosh sometimes yep. you have to make your own opportunities when you're just starting out definitely definitely I think that's so important to exactly what you said no matter what the situation is you're putting yourself up there and saying like here's the thing that I do and and trying to like I don't want people to feel like they're put on the spot to like perform when somebody else says like, do it now. Right. But that you are actively choosing to perform as often as possible so that you can put yourself in the arena. Like that's the space. Like the practice room is a version. The the performance space is your arena. (laughs) You want to be there. There are a couple of competitions that I really, I did care. Like I wanted to do well and I was nervous about it. So I went and got family friends to come to my pianist's living room so that I could sing for them so that I would, okay, I know that I sang it for people. I can do it again. Like, and that was my way of just kind of finding a way around my nerves um, so that the competition wasn't about the nerves. It was about doing, you know, my job. I love that strategy too. That just, uh, and just thinking all of the ways that you could put yourself in that scenario, getting like practicing, feeling that feeling you know, you're just like, okay, well, maybe I can have the, I can have my people come over and I'll do it in front of them. And then I'll also try and do it here. And then I'm going up for this competition. And like, and so you're just thinking through that's kind of like that, that like, let's figure it out attitude that I was mentioning way back at the beginning of the podcast is like, yeah, is all part of that. So <laughs> yeah. When yeah. you said that competitions also helped you kind of uh, meet your network, right. That you, yeah. that's a place where you encountered a lot of people is that it so with gigs and was that also like conductors managers like other colleagues like can you talk a little bit about that this was still kind of towards the beginning and so at um one at nats the natsa competition Mm -hmm. um my first one i did i met the head of song fest in california Mm -hmm. which really started me down my song obsession path (laughs) Um, so I met her and she invited me to come there and I went there for two summers and then um you know so it was was kind of like chance important meetings like that where like if I hadn't met her at that competition I wouldn't have then met Libby Larson and Jake Heggie and John Musto and like all of these people that then became like huge inspirations to me and kind of started me down the path of not just loving song, but loving how a composer's mind works and being able, you know, I can't talk to Schubert about how, how and why he composed this. Um, I, but I can talk to Jake Heggie about that. And, yeah. and that fascinates me. And when there's a human, like a real human, I can 
interact with behind those the notes and and the 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 expressions that I'm singing like that again we were talking about curiosity that started that curiosity and that um passion yeah that's great do you briefly do you have any thoughts on when you hear younger performers worry about being able to go to things like festivals um maybe financial burdens, those kinds of things. Do you yeah. have any thoughts about encouraging them to figure out ways to go or also ways that they can um, kind of recreate the benefits of those experiences for themselves? I'm just kind of positing that. <laughs> if you can, you know, if you can go, go. If there's, you know, if you get a scholarship or if you can go fund me or whatever, do it. They're, they can be invaluable. Yeah. They also cannot, you know, I, I have, there are people who ha- went to the same um, training programs that I did, who came away with vastly different experiences from that same experience that I mm-hmm. did. So, mm-hmm. you know, you never know what's going to be important and what's going to be oh, regret, you know, so mm-hmm. put yourself out there when you can understanding that like, not everything is going to be exactly what you hoped it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, so also like, but that goes for like, oh man, if I had only gotten to go to Songfest next summer, like that would have made my career. Maybe, maybe not, you know, mm-hmm. you just don't know. So like, don't feel like you have completely counted yourself out because you couldn't do that. Right. What you can do and what I highly encourage you to do is to look around you at your own community and f- not just make your own opportunities to perform, but see who is performing. I think that people are overlooking the importance of going to concerts and how much you learn by watching other people perform. Like if you are a freshman in college, you might not be ready to perform with your local art song group where you've got people who maybe have master's degrees and years and years of experience. You know, they might not be ready to like welcome you into their rosters. But I guarantee you, if you go to every single concert that they put on in a season, that's a masterclass over and over and over again. And you're not just gaining information about, you're gaining information about repertoire, you're gaining information about um, style, you're gaining information about how to look on stage. If like, obviously, you know, when when we first start out, like I had so many dumb, weird physical tics that I had no idea, (laughs) you know, it just boggles the mind that I thought, you know, these were good things to do on stage. Um, but when you see real professionals do what they do, you're like, oh, I'm not going to do what I do. I'm going to do what they do. You're like, and oh, that's I like not that. Stealing. I'm going to keep that. <laughs> that's not stealing. No. That's learning. And that's, you know, that's, that's. And so I would say, like, literally look around you. There's so much good music. And it doesn't have to be art song recitals. It doesn't have to be opera. It can be, I think I learned, oh, I have this, this indelible memory of a jazz concert at, um, Isaac Hayes Club in Chicago when I was in college like this woman just owned the room and just like just grounded in every way and I just remember being like oh my gosh she's a performer you know and I just learned and so like if you are a performer who is not actively seeking out and attending the performances of other performance performers then you have no business performing because that means you don't actually respect what everyone else is doing. And if you don't respect right. everyone else, why would you think they should respect you? Mm. Sorry, that's my truth <laughs> talk for the day. <laughs> we got like truth bombs with Laura, but uh, it's, it's, it's real. 
<laughs> I mean, but so, so real. Like, and I could not agree more with what you're saying about soaking it in. And there are so many opportunities for like a masterclass. You think that by going to this festival, you're going to be watching people and you're going to be performing in front of people. And you, and we don't think about how, just how much of that can happen around us, regardless of really the size of the, like, locale that you're in and I say that coming from a lot of different places <laughs> like, so I'm like no 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 there's always there's always, there's always people something. around you doing doing really fascinating things and like go check it out learn from them learn and other disciplines too like be yeah. going be going to art shows be going yes. to craft fairs yes. have you ever seen someone be so passionate about their art than like <laughs> a woman who just crocheted like 9,000 doilies and every single one is beautiful and right. she did that like I'm right. just saying she's like, gonna do my inspired. um embroidered like a body pillow for <laughs> from before yeah, she can be the one who pinpoints our, uh, yeah. <laughs> our body pillow and it's gonna be amazing and you're gonna be inspired and every night when you go to bed you're like that lady she did that yes. her body and her brain <laughs> yes exactly exactly yes I love that Laura while we're wrapping things up can you tell tell all of us where where you want to be found on the interwebs where can we find you and kind of keep track of your gallivanting and such okay so I have a website www.laurastrickling.com um but I tend to hang out most uh, often on Facebook, which I know is passing and makes me old. <laughs> I've been trying to tick the talks lately, but I'm not so good at it. Um, I am hopeless at Twitter um, and sometimes I Instagram, but I go. love connecting with everyone everywhere. And, and I also like, if you, if you're a singer and you, and, and you friend request me in any of those places and I can tell that you're a singer, I'll, I'll accept. And I'm always open for, for questions and in, in the DMS. Cause I think that the more that we share the better off we all are mm, couldn't agree more I love it <laughs> Laura thank <laughs> you so much I am just so uh, as as always like I could just talk to you forever about things and one of the reasons we were talking about this I was like I I love having conversations with you and I just want to do it for more people to hear us talking about things and so we will continue this conversation on and on but for now we're going to wrap things up for this masterclass episode Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this masterclass episode on Studio Class. Hey, before you go, do you have a second? Will you take a screenshot of this episode and share it to Instagram with your takeaways? You can tag me there at Mezzoinen. That's M-E-Z-Z-O-I-H-N-E-N. It makes a huge difference when you share this podcast with your friends or even strangers, really. So with that in mind, I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.